Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guests for this episode? Hi, Grant. Well, we've come to the end of the podcast year, and in this final podcast for 2021, we are going to review the progress on arguably one of the most talked about topics of the year, the 2025 National Packaging Targets. So we're going to be taking a closer look at the just-released Collective Impact Report, which gives a transparent overview of where we are and indeed where we are not when it comes to the reality of being able to meet those targets. Now, with us in the studio today to take us through the study results, we have the CEO of the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization, or APCO, as we'll refer to it from now on, Brooke Donnelly, and sustainability consultant, Dr. Helen Lewis. Welcome to the PKN podcast, Brooke and Helen. Now, Brooke, I'm going to start with you. Can you start by explaining collective impact as a collaborative, collaborative framework and tell us what the study set out to do? Yeah, sure. Thanks. And thank you for inviting us along today, uh, Lindy. So collective impact. Uh, Collective impact is a strategic collaborative framework. It's uh, designed to engage uh, various sectors and groups that share a common issue or problem. In this case, um, we're talking about the systemic issue of transitioning um, packaging here in Australia to a circular economy model. And the report that um, has come out recently and we're talking about today is actually analysing how Australia is tracking um, using this approach of collective impact um, on the progress towards the 2025 national packaging targets. So the report really looks to understand what's working well and what needs to be done differently, what do we need to maintain as BAU and what other additional actions or potential strategic interventions are required to help us accelerate and drive towards achieving the 2025 national packaging targets. Well, so the report was dissected last week by yourself and by Helen Lewis. And what we saw there was losses in the packaging system in 2019-2020 reporting period were identified um, in in design right through to collection um, in the packaging system. So, Helen, if you can talk us through what was found. Sure. Hi, Lindy. Yes, well, one of the best outcomes we found was that around 55% of packaging was recycled. So that's positive progress. It was only 50% last year. But that means that around 45% of packaging still went to landfill. And we estimate that if that material had been collected and recycled instead of going to landfill, it could have generated around $360 million. So that was an economic loss as well as an environmental loss. But we also looked at where that 45% was lost along the recovery chain um, from collection through to to recovery. And of the 6.3 million tonnes of packaging uh, that was placed on the market, we estimate that around 14% of that wasn't recyclable by design. So there's no system to collect it, sort it and recover it effectively. Um, Around 24% of packaging, though, is recyclable but wasn't collected. So there's an opportunity there for us to engage more with consumers and businesses to make sure that they're recycling 
uh, the materials that are recyclable. There's a lot of, you know, cardboard, PET, steel and so on that is recyclable but going to landfill. And then there's another 8% that we estimate that is lost in the collection and reprocessing uh, system itself. So it's designed for recycling, it's collected for recycling, but for various reasons it's lost uh, in the in the recovery process itself. So when we're looking broad terms at progress towards the four main targets, and it might be helpful to identify what those four targets are once again for our listeners, there are still significant gaps. Can you define those gaps by, by each target and compare the progress since 2017? Sure. Yes, we've got good data for three years. Uh, so we're starting to get a better picture for what's happening towards the targets. The first target is for 100% of packaging to be reusable, recyclable or compostable by 2025. And we estimate that we're currently at around about 86% uh, having good recyclability, which is a slight fall from the previous years. It was around 88% the first time we measured it, then 89% uh, dropping to 86%. Now, this is really due to growing consumption and a a slight change in the mix of materials. For example, in the last year, we saw a drop in glass consumption and an increase in soft plastics. So we're seeing a little bit of a mix there. The gaps are across different material types, uh, soft plastics, polymer-coated paperboard, wet-strength paper, manufactured wood products. So we need to look across all of those materials to improve recyclability. The second target is to phase out problematic and unnecessary single-use packaging, and APCO released a report in late 2020 that set out the materials and formats that uh, were put into that category. We don't yet have data uh, on that, uh, but from next year, uh, APCO members will be reporting on their use of those materials and action to phase them out. But I guess one positive trend that we can mention is around HDPE shopping bags where we've seen a fall from around uh, 30,000 tonnes in 2016-17 to only 200 tonnes last year. So I guess that's something that we really need to celebrate. The third target is for 70% of plastics to be recycled or composted, so actually recycled or composted by 2025. Uh, The estimate for 2019-20 was that we were at around 16%. Uh, and that stayed pretty much stable for the three years. It was 16%, it went up to 18%, now it's back to 16%, uh, mainly due to an increase in consumption of, of plastics. Uh, one of the big gaps is soft plastics, uh, which make up around half of that uh, group of packaging, but we also need to look at other materials like um, PP and HD and so on. The next target is for an average of 50% post-consumer recycled content um, and we're around about 39%, we think. We have seen progress. Uh, A couple of years ago it was 35%. It went up to 38%. We're now at around 39%. Around 11% is is pre-consumer recycled and around 50% is virgin material So we've seen some progress, but obviously there's still a gap to meet the targets. There are some variations. Uh, For example, papers progressing very well towards the target at around 54%, PETs at around 13%, uh, but plastics overall is only at 3%. So still quite a few gaps that need to be addressed. 
So when it comes to post-consumer packaging recovery, the results, as you mentioned there, Helen, vary quite significantly by material. Paper and glass are really faring quite a lot better. Metal and wood are holding steady state, while plastics are a big point of concern. So can you talk us through each material, the actual results for them, and the reasons for successes and failures along the way? Sure. Yeah, with the post-consumer recovery rate, um, paper and cardboard uh, has the highest recovery rate at around 68%. So not surprisingly, you know, most of that is corrugated cardboard. It's something we all recognise. It's highly recyclable, collected by consumers and businesses. Uh, But that's going up as well. It's gone up from 63% a couple of years ago, now around 68%. Glass, as you mentioned, also quite positive, recovered at around 60% of all packaging, glass packaging placed on the market. It was only 46% a couple of years ago. Uh, And that's been improving for a couple of reasons. One of them is the extension of container deposit schemes. Uh, the, The schemes in New South Wales and Queensland are much more mature, collecting more good quality glass. Uh, We've seen stockpiling uh, going down uh, and more glass going into construction products, for example. If we look at metal packaging, it's around 56%, uh, but big variations by material. Aluminium cans, for example, it's up to around 81%, once again linked to the growth of CDS, container deposit schemes. Steel cans lagging, only 38%, which is surprising given how recyclable uh, steel is. The recovery rate for wood packaging, around about 37%. Uh, That's going into mulch and other compost products. Uh, The challenge there is the sort of manufactured woods, like particle board and MDF and so on, used for distribution packaging. Uh, Last but not least, plastic packaging, only 16%. And and we really need to see uh, more progress there. It did drop slightly this year, and that was because of consumption, consumption going up. So we need to look at consumption, not just recovery. And there there are lots of reasons for the low rate. Uh, We don't have uh, at-scale collection and recycling for soft plastics. For example, there are big challenges getting plastics back into food-grade packaging. That needs to be addressed. Uh, So we've got a range of challenges there that need to be uh, addressed and that are outlined in the Collective Impact Report. So, Brooke, when it comes to um, looking at how to mine the gap as such or resolve these gaps, what are the main challenges to consider? Okay, thanks, Lindy. I think the important thing to remember here is we've really got some general challenges issues, challenges, barriers, if you like, and then some very particular ones um, for the target. So let's start with those more general kind of issues and get uh, to address the gaps. And look, none of this can take a step back from the impacts of COVID. We're two years into what has been globally a very difficult time, and that has had a great impact in terms of disruption of um, supply chains, domestic manufacturing, waste generation. Um, So that uncertainty has really been one of those factors we need to think about. There's also the flow-on effects that we're all still feeling from the national, um, the China national sword policies, um, and that's really impacting um, the materiality of marketplaces globally. Uh, and thirdly, also having to now really think through how we're going to address and build capacity and capability um, in SMEs. How do we support and address the technical changes that they're going to be required to make um, to really implement sustainable packaging? Uh, Another area would be around managing the alignment between 
what is the current infrastructure capacity um, and what improvements um, need to happen and the timelines for actually the implementation of any of those kind of um, infrastructure changes that need to happen to really support the redesign of packaging formats. And it's also ensuring that we really do have an adequate focus and funding for consumer education. Um, both consumers in industry and community as a whole needs to um, have a, a greater awareness and level of understanding. And that takes um, an appropriate level of um, focus on achieving that so that we can really ensure that um, the programs are very effective and um, well understood. There's also a need to work constructively to really seek some national consistency in the approaches around some of the regulatory interventions that have come into play both recently and in the future. Um, and so that's really, you know, trying to get all of the governments um, to work effectively together. And probably the last general kind of um, area that needs to be addressed is really enabling equity in the product stewardship initiatives. So product stewardship has started to get a lot more traction in the last couple of years, but we really need to make sure that product stewardship is done in a way that ensures there's accountability and participation by all of the stakeholders. So it's not a matter of just some of the big businesses getting involved. This is where everybody has to get involved and, again, comes back to how do we play fairly with both large businesses, small businesses and everybody in between. So there's some of the general um, kind of conditions and um, issues that we've got to, to work through. Well, those are some big picture issues that we're addressing um as a whole, as an industry, just facing massive challenges with COVID, as you said, and with all those other factors, developing the infrastructure and so on. But tell us more specifically per target, Brooke, what the challenges are. Yeah, so if we look at that um, 100% target, um, some of the uncertainties about the compatibility of packaging items with the current and future um, recovery system. So we talk a lot about needing additional infrastructure, but design happens before it, and so we've got this kind of like chicken and egg situation in terms of what are we designing for? Are we designing for the current system? We're designing for the system of the future and how do we get the timing right on that? So that's one of those challenges in the redesign space. Um, also, we're still losing a lot of recyclable materials in the sorting system um, and some of that's because they are, too large or too small um, and so we really need to think about is recyclability potentially the best option for some of those um, more unique type of packaging formats um, and that's where we need to be thinking about things like reuse and other actual models as well um, and also we've got it we've still got a recycling system that's designed to meet like pre-China national sword um quality and contamination standards and whilst there's been improvements there's still more improvements to come so we have to kind of how do we even out the speed humps on on that transition over the coming years there's so many great um, infrastructure activities that are happening but we need to make that work with the design element as well and if we look at the second target um, around the phase out of problematic uh, um, and unnecessary single-use plastic packaging, there is still some uncertainties and some technical issues around functionality and the availability or the recyclability of some of the alternative materials. And so we've got to really be quite considered and strategic in our um, thinking around what alternative materials are, um, if you like, fit for purpose. Um, talking of fit for purpose, <laughs> some things aren't <laughs> mm. and um, and we really need to think about that and, and really address that balance between packaging and food waste as well. We need to make sure sustainability isn't just 
um, equated with something that can be recycled. Sustainability needs to ensure that not only can it be recycled, but it's also meeting its functionality and its purpose, which in some cases is to protect food and medicine, etc. So we've really got to address that. And also, um, all of these changes, you know, there's capital costs here in new processing equipment, etc., and changing materials. So all of those kind of things have to be thought through in terms of the impacts for the overall system. And then if we look at the recycled content target, um, you know, we've got this current challenge of just really having an insufficient supply of some post-consumer recycled content that's the right quality, um, and particularly when we're talking about glass and food-grade plastic. So we really need to work through making sure we've got the right standards, the right quality of material and the right volume um, of that material available um, for use in the system effectively. And then if we touch on that last um, target around the 70% of plastic packaging, which, you know, to be frank, is our um, most difficult challenge and the most ambitious of the targets, um, we are still seeing a very significant loss of recyclable material. Um, and a large part of that is due to um, poor source separation both by both house, households and businesses. So, you know, it comes back to that education message and saying it's not just about consumers. We've all got to learn how to, you know, operate more effectively in this system. Um, and there's still some technical and commercial barriers to sorting within the current um, MRF system. So we need to work together to um, iron out those issues. Um, we do also have some limited end markets for some of these materials. And this is where the recycled content work becomes so important in terms of making sure that we have a home for those materials. Um, and I suppose another thing that adds complexity to that as well is that inconsistent um, definitions from you know uh, around the policies and some of the product scopes um, when we're talking about plastic packaging across the various states and territories and um, nationally so all of these issues together um, you know are challenges that we need to work through to make a really effective transition to a circular economy for packaging. So when you delivered the report last week uh, you said quite clearly that we will not meet these 2025 targets without further intervention. Now, what exactly do you mean by further intervention? Well, I think one of the great things about the report is um, the work that needs to be done. We need to do that in a very strategic, considered and planned way. To be able to do that, we need to have open and transparent conversations about what else needs to be done differently or more of or in another way going forward. Um, to do that, we need to say, okay, well, what are the other alternatives? If we're doing all of this activity and we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, and, um, you know, Helen's talked about some of the, the data so far in um, the conversation and, you know, we've done some work around the material flows and the scenarios there and an example is the plastic packaging based on just what we know is available today um, in terms of confirmed infrastructure changes, et cetera, we're only going to get about halfway to that 70% target if we don't do anything else. Um, so to be able to get to the 70%, we need to take other actions. We need to think about how do we incentivize, be that um, or you know, financially, um, also in a behavioural way to ensure that the change happens um, and that um, we actually are able to achieve those targets. When um, you look at the report, there's we've drawn out three top um, priorities that really need to be addressed. One is around really working with brand owners and packaging suppliers to ensure that they have all the knowledge and the tools that they need to design packaging to be compatible, um, both in, in this system and 
the, the one we're transitioning to as it evolves. Um, we also really need to build demand for recovered packaging materials. So this is that important work around recycled content because it helps to increase their value and it really drives investment in the sorting and the reprocessing and makes it more efficient and effective if there's a higher value for that material at end of life. And thirdly, we really need to invest in that new and improved infrastructure for sorting and processing um, all of those used packaging materials and really making sure that when we're doing that and we're thinking about what does that look like in that future state, we're looking at both mechanical and advanced recycling facilities, especially around soft plastics. Um, so some of these, if you look at the report, there's those top three priorities, but then there's several pages of um, proposed um, alternative actions that could be considered. And we discuss those in the context of the um, three key areas of our packaging future. And that's really important in terms of really starting to go, okay, well, what are the actual actions that are going to be required? Um, and those, you know, additional things that we need to do on top of what we're already doing to get to that 2025 target um, that we're trying to achieve. Well, there certainly is a lot of detail in that report, and we will put um, the download link in the show notes so that anyone listening who hasn't perhaps read it yet um, can make sure that they go and download and get familiar with all the detail that's in there. Now, the response was mostly positive to the uh, report being released to the, the whole Collective Impact Summit. But some of the industry stakeholders and in certainly some of the environmental lobby groups afterwards, while they recommended the transparency of the report, they felt that the call to action should really be more strongly around incentives, disincentives, and even government mandates. What do you think about that? I think that all of those questions um, and all of those points are important and that we need to have a full and robust conversation. And um, if we go back and we look at those proposed um, alternative actions, everything's in there, financial mm. incentives, policy mandates, um, targets, behavioural interventions, education. Um, it's a very comprehensive um, you know, look at what else needs to be done. There's, we're not playing politics here um, and we have no interest in that. Um, you know, this piece of work is about saying how is the system performing and what does it need to do going forward to meet targets that are in play at, at the time of 2025. So what's really important is that we find the right things. Um, you know, some of these, uh, some of these actions um, that, you know, some stakeholders talk to are quite blunt um, and don't really drive the particular action. And that's why it's really important to have um, the deep understanding that we've been able to establish in benchmarking and tracking progress in the last three years, because it enables us to actually say, well, what kind of outcome are we actually seeking here? And then what is going to drive that outcome most efficiently and effectively based on, you know, what's worked well around other parts of the world, what other kind of initiatives have been effective. So we've got to have a really broad conversation about all of these issues, be them policy, be them financial, be them social, environmental and cultural and educational um, around what's really going to drive the uptake and ensure that we effectively get to the 2025 targets. So Helen, I'm going to bring you back in here now and um, speaking about what to do going forward. What priority strategies has APCO identified and what are the most important interventions we do need to see? Sure. 
Yeah, Brooks already touched on some of them, but just to mention a few, if we're talking about the uh, design uh, targets, you know, the 100%, making sure that all packaging has an end-of-life solution, we do know that brand owners and packaging suppliers are looking for more information, for more guidance. So I think that's an important role for APCO to try to link both ends of the chain, to link the decisions that brand owners and packaging companies are making with the infrastructure um, uh, and so on. So there is definitely uh, some work that needs to be done there. But we can't get away from the idea of, reg- of the option for more regulation. Uh, we've got all of the states and territories looking at phasing out certain uh, problematic and unnecessary single-use plastics. So one of the things we raised in the report was, well, are there other items that we should be adding to those lists to provide that certainty? If there are alternatives and if the material is problematic, let's start to talk about those additional items that should be phased out rather than redesigned. Um, We need to build the infrastructure uh, for collection, sorting and reprocessing, as Brooke mentioned. Um, Some of the things that we mentioned um, in the report were standardising the list of materials and formats that can be collected at curbside, and we know that that's a process already underway under the National Waste uh, Policy Action Plan. So we need to provide, once again, provide that certainty for brand owners, but also make it easier for consumers. We need to accelerate the uptake of the Australasian recycling label. We know that's very important in helping consumers and businesses make decisions about how to recycle. We need more product stewardship schemes. If if something can't be collected through the curbside system, if it's not part of the container deposit scheme, then we need an alternative system to collect it. And that's a role for industry to step up. Uh, We also need a lot more investment in MRFs and reprocessing, uh, as was mentioned earlier. But very importantly, we need to build those sustainable end markets uh, to to really pull through that material. If there's a a good end market, then it will be collected and it will be sorted. So we need to get more of that material back into packaging and APCO and ANSPAC are working on a pledge program to build more demand to put it back into packaging. Uh, We also need to to think about some of those incentives that you mentioned. How can we incentivise recycled material over virgin materials? And there's a we've got a case study over in the UK where they're, they're taxing uh, virgin materials. We may not want to go down that road, uh, but we need to think about all the options. How can we incentivise recycled content building on the voluntary work that's already happening? Yeah, we certainly have seen just in the case of uh, CDS schemes, uh, container deposit, that putting a little bit of money does help. Um, Attaching a value to a material is what we need to do. Well, certainly uh, some of the successes that we've seen so far have all revolved around collaboration. I'll just mention two, that one, one is the important advanced recycling project that we saw come to fruition this year for the KitKat Recycled Wrapper. Um, And that's advanced chemical recycling, where we had retailers and brand owners and the scientific community and people with extreme technical expertise like Lysella, for instance, coming together and really coming up with a solution and showing us what is possible. On the other end of the spectrum, when it comes to investing in recycling infrastructure, we've seen collaboration from Pact Group with Asahi, with Clean Away, with Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners, coming up with a massive investment for 
recycling, doing bottle-to-bottle -bottle recycling. So collaboration really has been a strong driver of success so far. Of course, we need a lot more of this. Now, whether we can do that fast enough, we don't know, but perhaps Helen and Brooke, you can tell me. Let's end on a message of hope. Do you believe we can achieve these targets in the time frame? Uh, look, I think we can. It's going to take a lot of work and, as you say, it's going to take a lot of collaboration. This challenge can't be addressed by one sector on its own. The problems can't be solved by APCO, can't be solved by the packaging supply chain on its own. But, look, I've been involved with the packaging covenant one way or another for about 20 years, I hate to say, um, and I've never seen a, a, a higher level of motivation and activity it's been extraordinary just the last few years to see how much commitment we're seeing from the brand owners, from the packaging companies, from the big retailers. You know, there's been ambitious targets, a lot of work happening to phase out problematic materials, a lot of activity to redesign packaging. On the In the waste and recycling industry, we're seeing an enormous level of investment from the industry with support from government. Uh, as Brooke mentioned, we're, we're forecasting that at the very least we'll get halfway to the 70% target and that's just with the announcements so far and we know there's a lot of work going on uh, to build the business case for more investment. And, look, consumers are very engaged. They're more engaged than they ever have been. Uh, we've seen a lot of material in the media. We're seeing a lot of interest from consumers. So, look, I think across the board and government, of course I should mention government, we're seeing a lot of um, activity, a lot of support from the, the Australian government as well as state and territory governments. So, look, I am confident it's going to take a lot of work, but I think the willingness is there. Yeah, I'd agree with you that the willingness certainly is there. And there's been tremendous leadership from APCO, in the, especially in the last few years. And, Brooke, you, you played a large part in that. There's no denying that. What's your view? Look, I think it's really easy to focus on the negative, on what's not been done, but let's think about what we're saying now. Our most difficult target, 70% plastic. It's um, the November 2021. We've got a 25 target and we just said if we do nothing else, we'll get halfway there and we're still four years away from being there. So, yes, it's a really good time to have a conversation about what else needs to be done um, and recognising that more needs to be done. But we're, we've still got time and now is, is the time to be having the right conversations about making sure we get to 2025. Nobody's trying to, to greenwash it and say that, yeah, job done. Um, to Helen's point, we've still got a lot of work to do, all of us do, um, but there has never been a better time, um, you know, Helen's mentioned all of those different things that we're seeing that really are evidence of change and evidence of an entirely different way of doing business moving forward. And there are, you know, a lot of people who are on that bus and that bus has got a great big title across the front of it says leadership and we're on it and we're heading down. And if you're not on that bus already, it's about time you got on and realised that we've all got a job to do and it's not about APCO and it's not about government, it's not about consumers, it's about each and every one of us making a contribution and acknowledging the only way we win is if we all get across the line together. Um, and so we've got to work together to do this and I think that's the most important thing. We are on track. We've got more to do. We've got to keep doing what we're doing and we've got to do additional things to that and we can't be afraid of difficult conversations around policy and incentives and financial and social and cultural and economic. We've got to bring all of those things together because we have to create the right environment 
to be successful. This is about Australia being successful and ensuring that our communities have what they need to have effective, clean and safe environments as we move forward. So it's very, very important that we get this work right. And, you know, I echo Helen's words there's just never been a better time. And, you know, everything is where it needs to be. We just got to keep driving it forward and we will achieve the 2025 national packaging targets. Well, there's certainly never been a better time to be a packaging journalist, I can assure you. (laughs) Um, We're really looking forward to continuing to report on the advances and progress that you make. And I'm with you. We will get there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lindy. Thanks, Lindy. Well, thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Helen. And of course, thank you, Lindy. Uh, That's been a great conversation to listen into. And naturally, also thanks to our audience who have joined us for this episode. So don't forget, if you enjoyed what you heard today, like us on iTunes or in your podcast app of choice, as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the new year with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.